again back again for another week right here on Award Tour, the podcast. Yes, we are the podcast. We dive into the intersection of race and sports, but also culture, society, and apparently these days we're food critics too. Once again, as always, I'm Brian Albin. He is Unquad Sonye. You can find us right here wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we are hosted on Anchor. You can hear us there as well. Wherever you're listening to us, please leave us a review. Please, re- you know, leave us five stars. Let's be honest here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, also you know, give us give us a piece of your mind on things you'd like to hear us do more often here on the show. Uh, we have a full show for you today. We are going to talk about Sarah Fuller breaking some barriers at Vanderbilt, but we're not going to necessarily talk about it the way that you've probably heard over the last week or so. We will also uh, do a little recap on how we feel about our Thanksgiving turkeys, how they went after I uh, slandered the bird of turkey a week ago this time. Uh, We will also get into what is the NFL doing protocol-wise with COVID? Why is it that the Ravens and Steelers just played on a Wednesday but the Broncos were forced to play on Sunday without a quarterback. All that and more, and of course, our namesake, the awards, coming up at the end of the show. But before we go any farther, my guy, how you feeling this week? Tired, 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 tired. And it's weird because I finally started getting good sleep after yesterday. And I don't know, I think just jumping back into the full swing of things after thanksgiving and black friday you know takes a while to get used to but i'm back uh there isn't constant upheaval in my life but a lot of stuff is moving around uh internal renovations and just uh dealing with some fallout what about you you know i am in a very uh odd space this morning for sports reasons and sports reasons only it is a weird day oh yes it is to uh realize that john wall is no longer the point guard of the washington wizards because he has been here in dc only one year less than i have like our 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 times together my time in dc has essentially been shared with john wall so it's weird that he just got traded out of town and yet i'm allowed to stay uh because I think he's done a lot more for the people of D.C. than I have. That's for sure. But remember, you told us that Tommy Shepard wasn't going to flip him. And next thing you know. Well, I mean, I didn't think Houston was going to say, you know what? You don't really have to give us a first round pick. (laughs) Still can't believe a pick out of that. I really can't. If they get a pick, it's still sort of TBD. That's protected. That's right. Because it's protected pretty heavily uh basically each year so like i guess it's a 2023 lottery protected pick if the wizards are in the lottery that year the next year it would be protected one through 12 the next year it would be protected one through 10 and then if it hasn't been conveyed yet it just turns into two second round picks so like if the wizards suck interminably they'll never have to give that pick away if the wizards are decent at the very least they might give away the 18th pick in 2023, in which case this trade is fully worth it. Pretty palatable uh, from a basketball sense. Uh, it's just, it's it's weird. And it's only weird for, and not for the most part, for non-basketball reasons. I agree. It's It's more sentimental than anything else. Like, did the Wizards get the better player based on their histories and the deal? Yeah, they did. Okay, I guess. They got an MVP from three years ago. They got a guy who was third-team All-NBA last year. John Wall has played 70 games out of the last 236. Like, they got the better player in the trade. I'm not sure if they got the better fit for Beal. That's that's my biggest problem, though. Because, fine, we're going to dive into sports a little bit here. Because for me, Bradley Beal would have been the best player on on any team that Russ played on when he won his MVPs. Like he dragged eh, teams all the way to playoff contention when he did that as the primary ball handler. 
I do not know how that factors in when Bradley Beal consistently gets underrated year in and year out. I mean, I felt like this was the year that you figured one way or another, Wall and Beal were going to figure it out. Now they've got to do it all over again with a very emphatically ball-dominant point guard. So I think all of us were hoping that they had sort of, their time apart had allowed them both to mature and realize how much they needed each other and that they did need to, and it seemed like they were more on the same page. It seemed like the excitement was genuine. But then at the same time, we hear that John Wall was not happy hearing Tommy Shepard up on the podcast saying that this team is Bradley Beal's team now, which it is. True. (laughs) You're right. It is. When you don't play essentially for three years, it can't be, and team. the other guy ascends to should have been All NBA but wasn't given it. It's that guy's team. So uh, who knows? Maybe they just weren't the the Wall Beal pairing was on the decline before he got hurt. So. I think it was just more than anything people were missing it and missed how fun it was because of how garbage things went to without Wall, even though they weren't going in the right direction with him. They at least were still better than what they became without him. And that, considering with what Wall did here for 10 years, I think that's why it's so, from a sentimental point, getting people upset. Uh, But if we pause and just think about it from basketball terms and how we would have thought about this trade before Wall got hurt. I think people would have taken this trade, but we'll, we'll see. But the, the the sports talk be damned, right? Because we got to talk. <laughs> we got to talk the real issues with sports. Some history was made over the weekend when Sarah Fuller, uh, a goalie on the championship women's soccer team at Vanderbilt University, won a spot as a kicker on the Vanderbilt football team as they've been dealing with a rash of issues within the kicking position. She walked on, she won a tryout, and she ended up hitting a successful squib kick to start the second half uh, in their loss to Missouri this weekend. She became the first female in a Power 5 conference game to play football. That's a huge deal. Uh, She has dealt, of course, with a ton of misogyny and questioning of whether it was a PR stunt, whatever it may be. Uh, We're not going to get into that nonsense. Because there's a more interesting thing that happened during the game for us to talk about. Uh, It came out Sunday, and you have to remember that Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason got fired right after, I believe it was a shutout loss to Missouri. Uh, Wasn't pretty. And his firing midseason seemed, you know, a little weird. But then we also got this from Courtney Cronin, the uh, Minnesota Vikings beat reporter. She had a Zoom call with Sarah Fuller after the game in which Sarah Fuller talked about a halftime speech she gave to the team. And this is from Courtney Cronin uh, from the Zoom call. Sarah Fuller saying, quote, if I'm going to be honest, I was a little pissed off at how quiet everybody was on the sideline. We made a first down, and I was the only one cheering. And I was like, what the heck? What's going on? And I tried to get them pumped up, and I was like, you guys need to start your team on. Or, yeah, you guys need to start your team on. My main thing was during the SEC tournament, she's talking about soccer, my entire team was cheering the entire time. It didn't matter if we were in the locker room or if we were uh, on the sidelines. I think they're what won it for us. Everybody was cheering nonstop. I just went in there, and I said exactly what I was thinking. I was like, we need to be cheering each other on. This is how you win games. This is how you get better is by calling each other out for stuff, and I'm going to call you guys out. We need to be supporting one another. If we get a first down or if an interception happens, it's our fault. We need to be lifting each other up. That's what a team's about. I think this team has struggled, and that's been a part of it. We really just need to build that team camaraderie where they can all lean on one another. It was an adjustment going from that team mentality where, hey, we're all supporting one another, and I just wanted to bring that to this team, unquote. Uh, She also said, according to Courtney Cronin, that she had coaches come up to her after the game saying, I've been wanting to say that for a while now. Hoo-wee! 
That's a lot. That's a lot of um that's a lot of unloading. And unloading isn't maybe necessarily the right word, but that's an interesting circumstance for somebody to win a tryout for a walk-on position. And it's not just that it's a walk-on position. It's, it's to be the kicker. So, like, kicker is already sort of this, what should we call it, like ostracized position within a football team. I think that's a good way to put it. You're, 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 even when the kicker's male, he's hardly considered <laughs> one of the guys, right? Because he's not out there making tackles. He's not out there throwing blocks. He's not out there throwing passes. He's not out there running routes. He's got one job. In this case, she's got one job. There was a lot of negative reaction to the fact that she was so outspoken, not just in the setting of the locker room on her first week within the team, but that she also went to the media to sort of air out what she said. Uh, I'm going to try and pull up some of the reactions. This, a reaction from Twitter. I mean, man or woman, what gives a soccer player who's been on the team for three days the right to stand up and call out players? Imagine being a senior in this locker room. What gives her the authority to do this, especially a kicker? Nah, this ain't it. That is a uh, that is some of the sentiment. Another person, I'm all for her kicking, but this is absurd. Imagine a male walk-on kicker of any sort showing up seven games into the season, not even kicking yet, then lecturing the team about not cheering hard enough because that's what they did on his soccer team. <laughs> So, I mean, we've, we've sort of played fair or foul before. I guess I'm asking you, is this fair or foul? Should we be celebrating her for walking into a locker room of people who have been getting their asses beat all season, physically, emotionally, mentally, and trying to tell them what they're not doing enough of? Or is she in line because she's coming from a winning culture and she thinks that she can speak to that culture. If Sarah Fuller was a guy and she walked on to playing linebacker and they said the exact same thing, I promise you, nobody would care. Everybody would have probably called her someone, oh, you know, she really cares. She's fired up her team. Uh, let's be clear. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Vandy is winless, right? Vandy's trash. Yeah. But, so, but they're winless this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sarah Fuller has gone to the NCAA tournament as a member of this so-called soft women's soccer team uh, every year. She was the starting goal kick keeper for a team that would have gone to the NCAA tournament if there was one. They won their first SEC title. I think sometimes when we talk about winning culture, we neglect the fact that culture is made up of so many different things. And one of those things is enthusiasm. For everyone saying that Sarah Fuller was out of bounds for speaking up in a locker room full of upperclassmen, um, why aren't those upperclassmen ashamed that this champion, yes, this champion, literally walked into the locker room and said, what are y'all doing? What makes it so funny is that did she play past that squib kick? It was just that one squib kick. She just had the one kick, yeah. Okay, so for some I don't reason, think Vanderbilt had any other kicks is part of the issue, right? Because it, it was the second half opening kickoff. So Missouri would have kicked off to start the game. Vanderbilt didn't score the whole game. So the, any, the only time for a kicker to come onto the field would have been for kickoffs, the second goals, half or kickoff. Ex, or, or, extra, uh, or extra points. I get that. I get that now. So this winless team that she joined did not give her a chance to contribute due to their inability to produce on the field. She is a champion and lambasted them and wanted to do better. And people are jumping bad with her. That's hilarious. That's really hilarious. So I do think 
that there's obviously the element of people want to pick the fight with her uh, because she's a woman. Like, we know that based on how we saw the criticisms of her kick. The fact that people, you know, wanted to go onto the internet and say they could have hit a better kickoff than she did. Yeah, okay. Which is just lies. Like, you... You don't even run. You're not hitting a kick. Sorry. Yeah. uh, Like, no. That's definitely... For one, she probably could have kicked it farther if that's what she was intending to do. The coaching staff probably decided we don't want you to only kick it to the 10 and have them return a short kick. We'd rather you kick a kick to the 35 that's unreturnable. And she executed that. So, like, no, don't don't think you could have done a better job from your couch than she could have. Those people are stupid. Yeah, they really are. Also, on a campus full of men who could quote-unquote be better at this how could she make the team as a kicker if a squib kick was all she could do like that makes zero sense to me to to further buoy your argument yeah she won the tryout like which means she uh, can do everything i assume that means that more than five other people signed up for the tryout you know like people she beat whoever tried out so nobody should be questioning if it was a PR stunt or not, that's absurd. But I do think there is some merit to the idea, for one, I can appreciate where she may have been coming from and how she might have been trying to take an opportunity to talk about, hey, here are some things we on a winning team do that I believe help us. But, like, this Vanderbilt team is winless, and they have been outscored 116 to 294 on the season. At the time of that halftime speech, they're down, like, 30-something nothing. To Missouri. So, like, (laughs) I appreciate the message she's trying to give off, but no, their problem is not that they aren't cheering for one another hard enough. (laughs) And so, like, I'm hesitant to give her a round of applause for what she's saying. Because just like you're making the argument, if it was a walk-on male linebacker who gave this speech, no one would really care to talk about it. I'll also make the counter-argument, if Derek Mason was in the locker room and that was his message to his football team, that their problem was that they weren't cheering hard enough for one another, they weren't, you know, going hard enough for one another, he would be laughed out of that locker room and he would be laughed by you know laughed out by anybody following football because like this is football this is a physical sport this is a sport that is one in the trenches and it's one with execution it's you look corny if your sideline goes nuts because you got a first down down 35 nothing right like we would be laughing at those guys if that was the circumstance. So I feel like there's this balance between appreciating her wanting to take the leadership role and wanting to give her experience off, but still being able to like validly criticize to make that statement in that place and be so public about it. I would personally probably be upset if I was one of the football players on that team just that a kicker who's been here for three days is telling us we don't you know go hard enough for one another when this person has no idea the hours we've put in and how hard it is for us to have put in all the work we've put in to suck to get our asses beat in by the Florida's and the Tennessees, and the Georgias, not because we're not cheering enough for each other and not because we're not going hard enough for one another, but because we are simply inferior. That would be a hard speech to feel good about, I feel like. All right, so here's where I disagree, and it's kind of interesting because 
gratefully, since um, transmission is down, we are getting a chance to work out on campus. So I've been working with my program. So for those who don't know, I do coach high school basketball uh, on staff. That is, I'm, I'm not the head coach. But one of the things we actually emphasize with a really young team is effort in the little things. And I can understand the big difference between power five college athletics and like high school. But I also understand in a sport like football, if you don't have enthusiasm, what do you have? You talked about the battle being in the trenches, right? Well, you have to have some sort of, I don't even know what to call it because I feel like guts isn't strong enough and fortitude just, I don't know, that word just doesn't feel right. But there has to be some sort of emotion, some sort of anything to keep fighting. And if it's that you give up when you're down 30, then it is what it is. But I don't think that what she said was invalid. I'm not saying that Vanderbilt has the talent to compete. They they, they probably don't. I mean, James Franklin got the Penn State job because Vanderbilt actually had a couple national rankings with a couple big upsets. It's not like he set records from what I remember at Vanderbilt. So it's never going to be a football powerhouse, at least not now. But when it comes to what it takes to actually fight in the moment, I think she's right on the ball. No pun intended. So I don't think I'm saying that any of what she was saying is necessarily invalidated. I think I'm just saying more of like, I don't think that criticism to her for picking that time and place and then talking about what she did to the media afterwards is something that if you were really a member of that team, is good uh, being a good teammate. Because I don't think, especially in a sport like football that is so physical, to come in, think about what we would say about the coaches. I feel like we always attack coaches who take a new job, inherit the job from some predecessor who had failed and that's why that person got fired and they use their first year to essentially just denigrate everything that is in that locker room right now and talk about how they need to rebuild the culture uh I wasn't left with much Mm. to sort of give them excuses for when they fail in their first year often inevitably I know I, in that circumstance, would say that that coach is doing wrong. Because if you took this job, you inherited the players that you signed up for. It's your job to make the best of what you can with them. I guess the comparison that we lived through was Mike Lonergan at George Washington, right? Mm -hmm. He showed up. And he basically made a point of letting you know you're a Hobbs guy and you're not really my recruit. And not necessarily working with those guys the best he could have. Because he was just waiting for his recruiting classes to come in. It's not an apples to apples comparison. But I think... It's more just about when you're the new person in a locker room. And this is the part that I don't think has anything to do with man or woman, but has a lot more to do with being the new person. And on top of that, the kicker, like whatever message you were trying to impart that may have been valid, I don't think was done the right way. Because at the end of the day, no matter how good you are at your job as a kicker, 
you have to stretch your leg and kick a ball and maybe jog once or twice. All these other dudes are beating each other up day in and day out. So to so publicly make a statement about, you know, they're, they're broken. I think it's something that she could have told them. I probably would have done it Monday. Fair. I think that's totally fair. And I wouldn't have gone and talked to a media reporter about, I saw so much wrong that needs to be fixed. And I know that because I'm a winner in my sport, which is totally different. It does make me sort of wonder without speculating too much. It could be that maybe she thought that they weren't going to listen to her. I'm not excusing it either because under that context, I do tend to agree with you that that's something that could have been handled in-house. Probably should have been handled in-house, in fact. But it does make me wonder how they felt about her being there in the first place and wondering how much that might have contributed to her speaking publicly rather than speaking in the locker room. Yeah, those are tough questions to answer without being there. Obviously, <laughs> without without being able to see it for ourselves. Um, I just think my major takeaway was I found it odd that her comments got turned into something where either people wanted to praise her for being a great leader or people wanted to talk about people who criticized her is being along the same same lines of misogyny as those who were saying that like they could kick a ball better than her. Uh, Because I feel like there's truth that's way more in the middle on this one than that sort of basic line. There are so many terrible kicking puns I could use to open this segment, but I think we're better off with me not doing that at all. But it is time for America's favorite game. Tell me something I don't know. Now, if you joined us last week, you heard one Brian Albin give a very hearty, and I mean hearty, takedown of the one and only Thanksgiving turkey. I don't regret it at all. The unfor- I don't take any of it back. I, I, here's the thing. The unfortunate matter is that I bragged so much about the smoked turkey that we usually get. This year, we did not get it. And as I had it, I took a deep breath and said, he might actually be right. Because frankly, to me, unsmoked turkey feels like a waste of time. And now I can sort of stand by that. And what's worse, I, I have a ham in my freezer that I forgot to bring. So I, I, I think that's 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 all my fault there. But here's why it's all OK, because since we have affirmed that Thanksgiving turkey is overrated at best. I did get my fill of short rib for my birthday. Thank you to my sister. I mean, that's that's a saint right there. Ugh. I can't say enough about it. I'm so mad I finished it. I might have to learn to make it myself. But nevertheless, what makes the end of November so much fun for some is that it leads right into the holiday season, which contains holidays such as Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa. There are the people who wait until right after Halloween to start putting up Christmas decorations. There's some who don't want to hear about Christmas or any of the other holidays until the night before Christmas. So my question to you, sir, what exactly do you consider the beginning of your holiday season? So that is an interesting question. Uh, Because for one, I share a life with who I consider to be the captain of Christmas. 
She has an immense amount. <laughs> Wait, uh, the captain, huh? She has an immense amount of Christmas spirit. Um, and that is something that before she came into my life, I did not really have nor understand. So I'm trying to uh, trying to learn about some of the spirit. People can't see our feeds here, but you can see behind me. Look over my right shoulder. What do you see? I was so startled. Now I know exactly what that is. It's a Christmas tree. That Christmas tree has been up since the Monday, or Sunday or Monday before Thanksgiving. So that gives you an idea of when uh, we start our holiday preparation in this household. I think the one thing I can tell you is that over time, things like putting up the tree have grown on me. But the part of the holiday season starting so early that I detest is the music. The restaurant at which I am employed started playing Christmas music and Christmas music only the day after Thanksgiving. I would like to file a motion that it is too early to be doing such things. Whoa. Christmas music cannot become a fixture of like, it's all we listen to until two weeks before Christmas at the earliest. That (laughs) is my motion. You can start sprinkling it in around Thanksgiving. Mix in a song or two to the rest of your playlist or whatever it may be. But I really don't need to hear four different versions of a Christmas song in one hour. (laughs) So true. I'm going to give you that. That's so true. Like, it really kills the desire to hear any of those songs by the time we get to Christmas. And that should be when our spirit is at its peak. And I'm a Jew saying all this. (laughs) About Christmas. I want Christmas to be a happy day. Christmas is great. It's not so great, though, when I know every single word of, like, Carly Rae Jepsen's version of Last Christmas. (laughs) And every little riff she does. Oh. I don't need to know what Carly Rae Jepsen is up to during Christmas. Let's keep it to the classics. Let's just mix it in a little bit at a time until we get to like December 13th. And then you can start really getting in the spirit. Full-fledged. That's my take. I am fully on board with the start of the Christmas season being right after Thanksgiving. I'm actually fully in support of that when it comes to the christmas music i have never been more in agreement because first of all we should generally be staying home for the most part anyway but when i've had to go shopping and and you know me I, i'm a music guy like it, it, it's 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 what i absolutely do. yeah so the chagrin you hear rather the chagrin you feel when you hear different bad covers of the same Christmas songs, I'm walking in and I'm like, this is a joke. Because if you're going to play Christmas music, I do not want to hear anybody cover Donny Hathaway's This Christmas. Like, I will complain to a manager. I am tired. Let's see, what has been covered the most? Winter Wonderland is covered way too much. I have not heard enough of Jingle Bells. Baby, I feel it's like cold Jingle outside. Bells doesn't get messed with. <laughs> How kind you are. How kind you are. Because I've, I've heard some butchering. Uh, what are you doing New Year's Eve? The list goes on. The, the, the sad part is the list really does go on and on. So all of that is to say 
when it comes to Christmas music, I have my playlist and I stick to my playlist because I don't like it either. And let's see, have I heard anybody try to cover? There are a couple good covers of the Christmas song. There are a couple good covers to that. But when I hear a bad one, I just look angry the rest of the time I'm in the place. So how do you feel when you walk into a store and you hear Justin Bieber's version of a Christmas song? I'll walk out. (laughs) And Bieber's actually really talented. I know he gets a lot of slander. I actually actually like a few of his songs, um, but... uh, You said that very reluctantly. I think it's just the persona. I I think that's really what it is. Because he's very talented. Maybe a nice guy. I don't really know him. But... Yeah, no. I, nobody asked for that. If nobody asked for Carly Rae Jepsen's cover, no one asked for Justin Bieber's cover. Ariana Grande did a cover with some dude who I do not know. And I'm so mad. I think it might have been Winter Wonderland, and it actually was all right. I think they they wove in Don't Worry, Be Happy. And it actually kind of worked. And I was like, okay, this is good. And Ariana can actually sing anyway. But the rest of the covers just keep them. That's why I'm tired of seeing new Christmas albums. Like you, you, are, you, you can't re, you you can't reinvent the wheel all the time. You just to can't. Ariana's credit, she at least did a Christmas album that wasn't covers and just like made some new Christmas songs. Right. Like at least, yeah. Please, can we add some to the rotation? Maybe that might make me a little more eager to hear Christmas music for longer, but no, I don't want to hear have yourself a merry little Christmas done by five different people in two hours. Listen, unless it's PJ Morton, PJ Morton is slander proof. You, you leave his Christmas album alone. He did a great job. I'll send you the link one day. I think I'll send you the link after the show. Please, please, please do. (laughs) Lord knows I need more Christmas music. Maybe it can be added in house. <laughs> <laughs> you do not sound optimistic. No chance. They've got some like playlist on some algorithm. <sighs> Deep breaths, Brian. Deep breaths. <laughs> We need to uh, move on from the holidays, though, because we are coming to a close somewhat of the NFL regular season. We are now through 12 weeks completed. I can't say I thought we were going to get this far, uh, but if the NFL has proven anything, it has proven that you can get through a season in the COVID era when you simply decide we don't care about the (laughs) virus. We're going to get through the damn season, whatever it takes. But along the way, we have seen some, uh, should we say hypocrisy, within how the league has been willing to handle its virus protocols. Did you just say hypocrisy when it came to the NFL? I know. What a crazy concept. right? So for anyone unfamiliar, this past Wednesday, we had the, uh, I believe it has to have been the first ever NFL game played on a Wednesday. When the Baltimore Ravens and Pittsburgh Steelers met after a a six-day delay. They were originally slated to play on Thanksgiving evening. They did not due to an outbreak within the Ravens uh, locker room that included Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, uh, whatever the last name or whatever the first Mark Andrews that's the tight end Mm -hmm. essentially four of like the five or six best offensive weapons including uh, the former league MVP were all out of commission uh, yesterday and we're going to be out of commission the whole time for this game that was played yesterday between the Steelers Steelers had some people missing as well due to COVID Um, but the NFL basically decided there was this game was going to happen, uh, presumably because there was no more time to make it up for anybody if it did not get played this week. On the other hand, 
you had the Denver Broncos who were put into just one of the more unenviable situations that we've seen in a while Sunday for their game with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Earlier last week, Jeff Driscoll, a quarterback on the Broncos, came down and tested positive with COVID. Uh, Then when the NFL was doing its contact tracing measures, it was deemed that Brett Rippon, Drew Locke, and Blake Bortles, who were all in the QB room with uh, Jeff Driscoll, were deemed to be close contacts, and all of them were high-risk close contacts because they were in a meeting uh, meeting room together not wearing masks, even though Jeff Driscoll would later test positive. That forced all of Denver's quarterbacks to be ineligible for Sunday's game against the New Orleans Saints, even though none of the other three uh, ever tested positive. And it also led to them elevating uh, practice squad wide receiver Kendall Hinton to be the starting quarterback. Hinton had played a little bit of quarterback at Wake Forest in his collegiate career, but had yet to play in an NFL game at wide receiver where he's been practicing to be an NFL player, let alone alone playing quarterback. And all of a sudden, he just showed up to an NFL game on Sunday, was asked to play quarterback. It was a disaster, as you would have expected. I think he went like one for nine with two interceptions, uh, and the Broncos got absolutely obliterated by the New Orleans Saints. After the game, Kareem Jackson, a cornerback for the Denver Broncos, said what was probably on the mind of a lot of fans uh, when he blasted the NFL. He said, quote, for me, I'm not really disappointed in our guys, the quarterbacks. I know the protocols have picked up a little bit. Wearing that mask and being in the room on a day-to-day basis definitely becomes kind of irritating, but honestly, we have to do what we have to do. But at the same time, I feel like going into the game, we weren't given a chance, unquote. It's hard to argue with Kareem Jackson that the league seemingly deliberately didn't give them a chance to win when it forced the Broncos to play on Sunday and wasn't willing to move their game back a couple of days, when it was willing to move Pittsburgh and Baltimore's game back six days. And the league apparently doesn't feel like there were any high-risk close contacts on the field yesterday between the Steelers and and the Ravens, but how can they be so sure when 14 Ravens players or staff had tested positive in the past week, and I believe it was up to a handful of Steelers players and staff had tested positive within the last week? I mean, what does that say about the NFL? That one game happened on a Wednesday, and a different game led to a team playing without an NFL quarterback on Sunday because they were told they had to what we always knew they don't care <laughs> they really don't they, they they really don't but you know something i am actually not mad at them take for taking this position on it and i think the reason is because from what i've read about the ravens case it was a coach that infected players and flat out disregarded the protocols versus a room full of players being maskless when you know you have a game on Sunday. Do I expect the NFL to be fully fair or whatever? I, I really do not, and I don't think I ever expected them to be. But I do think that they were well within their right to do it. And I can't believe I'm saying that with anything regarding the NFL. I'm not sure it was fair, but I'm not actually mad at them for doing that. Not at all. I am mad about it from the standpoint. I'm not as worried. If this was a normal sports season, I would, you know, be mad about the competitive imbalance of what such a decision does. And people's jobs are determined by wins and losses and things of that nature. And the Saints being given a free game, essentially, when no one else in the league was being given a free game 
and everyone else in the league has had to make multiple adjustments due to COVID that has put them in more dangerous situations potentially by playing on only four days rest or whatever it may be. Like if I'm any one of those teams, I may be saying to myself, hold up. Why did we have to wait a week to play when that team couldn't have, like why couldn't we just have made the people who were negative or the people who were positive sit out the damn game and the people who were negative and not high close contacts, like if they had enough players, make them play the damn game. Like if a game... I want to say there was a Titans game earlier that got canceled or pushed back or something because the Titans wouldn't have had enough offensive linemen. Well, apparently we make wide receivers from the practice squad play quarterback when there aren't enough quarterbacks now. So, like, that's uh, that would be my normal point of anger just from the competitive imbalance in a league where, like, this is people's livelihoods. You can't be doing that. My bigger concern on this one, though, is the injury risk Mm. that you brought to the Denver Broncos by putting them into that situation. You put wide receivers in a dangerous situation by having an unqualified quarterback potentially lobbing them a lame duck over the middle and them getting knocked the hell out or being put in a position where they may have to go up for a ball and have their ribs get crunched. You were putting the quarterback himself in a dangerous position to have to play quarterback in the NFL when he probably hasn't taken a snap since he was a freshman or sophomore in college. Like, you're putting people's physical health on the line when you put a team in a position where they are at risk of being non-competitive. That, to me, is what is so angering about this. If you could accommodate the Steelers and the Ravens for a nationally televised broadcast, and that's what this is probably really about, right? This game was an NBC primetime game that they were promised. NBC probably wanted that damn game. If you can make six days' worth of accommodations for these two teams... uh make the Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys adjust their schedules for this upcoming week. Like, if you have no problem doing all of that, why did we have to make Denver play a game that may have put guys in danger? That's inexcusable to me. You know, the thing that I'm thinking most about in terms of the NFL's decision-making I don't even think I'm looking just at at you know the the network part of the, the the game and everything. Right now, I'm looking at the standings. And it would not surprise me if the feeling in the NFL corporate offices is that Kansas City's 10 and 1 in the AFC West, Denver barely has a shot in the wild card to begin with versus a Pittsburgh and Ravens team that are at least both above 500 and the Ravens have a fighting shot for the wild card. What's one more loss for a now four and seven Denver team against a now nine and two New Orleans Saints team. I honestly feel like that was the overriding decision because they've, Somehow the NFL got the chance to say, hey, listen, we think Taysom Hill can beat anybody on that quarterback roster. Who cares if it's a practice player QB? But how would you feel if that's how they made that decision based on that basis? If I'm the Broncos, I'm going to be mad either way. How would you feel if you're the rest of the teams in the league? Maybe it's just me, but I'm not sure I care all that much. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it is just me because to me it's like I can't control that. I know this league is gonna do whatever it wants to do whenever it wants to do it. And I feel like at least right now where being mentally locked in is really important and also really rare, might as well just let the NFL do what it wants and just say screw it. Like who cares? 
I mean, because the way I look at that, if I'm the Seattle Seahawks, if I'm the Green Bay Packers, I'm fighting for the number one overall seed in the East, and I know that the NFL just essentially tossed the Saints into a non-competitive game that was a free win for them when we've all had to deal with virus protocol issues at some point in this season. Why were they just tossed a freebie because we're in week 13 or whatever when all of us have had to be flexible, move stuff around that wasn't in our best in Like, you know what? Like that, I would be very pissed if I was the majority of the league to see that this is how the NFL is running the ship. That there's no rhyme or reason at this point anymore other than we need to get the games in. Because that's not how it was in week two. That's not how it was in week three. That's not how it was when the league deemed it had enough time to figure out how to get all the games in still. And it could make certain accommodations. There are teams who have wins right now is a product of they were not punished the way the Denver Broncos were for having an... The Broncos didn't even have an outbreak. The Broncos just had a guy who tested positive and three guys who were in a room without masks with him at some point, and they deemed that irresponsible in breaking the protocols, and they wanted to punish that. But they've had plenty of chance to punish teams for having outbreaks, and that hasn't happened. So, like, if I'm... If I'm in the league, I'm furious. The only people who are happy in this situation are the Saints. Because they got a free win. Well, we are here. The one, the only, award tour. And for the record, once again... I know we're a few episodes in, but please, Q-Tip, don't sue us. We, we really like your music, and it just sort of fits what we are doing today, which is we find the one person, in this case this week, that did something or was a part of something that merits an award, either on the positive side or the negative side or the funny side or the not-so-funny side. And I forget, with my big preamble, who's going first I'm literally going to let you choose if you want me to go first or if you want to go first. I think I'm uh, going to be given the first award of the week out this week. Let's because, go. Uh, so mine is for a group of people. Uh, but first to provide the context, you, of course, watched Chappelle's show back in the day. I bought it on Amazon Prime. There we go. So you may remember one skit in which Dave is going around New York City with John Mayer. And <laughs> uh, essentially, they're doing a skit on how white people react to the electric guitar. And how no matter what the setting may be, the electric cu- uh, guitar just gets white people going. And then they want to try their experiment in a barbershop to see if people of color... Just say, just say black people. Well, just, no, because I believe there were also Latin people in the uh, barbershop. You could just say too. black and brown. Okay. It's okay. Black and brown. We're going black and brown people. How they may react to said same electric guitar. And here is the result of their experiment. Shut the f up. <laughs> the. Shut the f- up is one of the more just like memorable one-liners, I feel like, from Chappelle's show. Just that we, we all have that moment where something moves us to the point where we feel the need in our head to say, yo, shut the f- up. I've been feeling this sentiment a lot lately when watching sports. Ooh. Because if there is one group of people who are just pissing me off with their John Mayer level of read-the-room tone deafness. It's sports announcers. Every (sighs) damn time they feel the need to talk about how much they miss the fans 
and how much uh, the sport really can't wait to have fans back and how it's so eerie without them and yada, yada, yada. Yo, you know what's eerie, my guy? 270,000 people are dead. (laughs) Shit. That's pretty eerie to me. Do you know what is not eerie to me? When Emiliano Grillo hits a approach shot to seven feet and I don't hear a round of applause, I'm really unbothered by it. I really was unbothered by watching Duke Michigan State the other night and not hearing the Cameron crazies. I don't need to hear their dumbasses to enjoy the game. So can you please stop talking about it? Mm. We get it. We like sports with fans. That's how it's supposed to be. That's not how it is right now. We are lucky and potentially stupid to even have sports at all right now. Shut the f*** up. Like nobody who has a dead relative wants to hear you bemoan the fact that these games are taking place without people clapping them on. You sound like idiots every time you go down that path. And that's why I am giving the John Mayer Read the Damn Room Award to sports announcers who seem to care so much about the fact that these games are being played without fans because, you know, it makes it safer. It's not even an angle I really even thought about or considered before. But thank you for bringing that to light because I think sometimes we really do just need to get a grip. Like... Somebody makes some comment along those lines at basically every sporting event I watch on television. Like, they feel the need to point out that it's fanless. We know. We we know. Get over your feeling of self-importance considering what's really going on in the world. I just wish I could bring the guy from the barbershop in my pocket oh, no. and just hand deliver him to everyone so he could so perfectly tell them the way I feel every day. Shut the f*** up! Well said. So, my award goes out to someone for something positive. I like giving positive awards out once in a while. And this one comes at the expense of the Detroit Lions. (laughs) The best part is you already know where this is going. So in case you've been not paying attention to the NFL, which is okay. um, The Detroit Lions. I don't know if I have an equivalent to any other organization or team because the Lions are just not good. They have traditionally been. Not good. They have had one of the best running backs of all time in Barry Sanders, but they have once again been traditionally not good. Uh, They are so mediocre that Matt Stafford, who is having a meh year this year, is their best quarterback of all time. Go ahead and let that marinate for a little bit. This very same franchise, with Matt Stafford as quarterback, by the way, had a head coach by the name of Jim Caldwell. Now, let's talk a little bit about Jim Caldwell's resume. Um, he started his career coaching at Wake Forest University, not with much success. He then went on to coach in the NFL on the staff of one Tony Dungy. Now, on that staff, he won a Super Bowl as the offensive coordinator. Then when Tony Dungy retired, he ended up taking the reins of the Indianapolis Colts, had a team finish first in the AFC South two years in a row, went to a Super Bowl, and then was fired after a 2-14 2011 season. He then joined the staff of the Baltimore Ravens as the offensive coordinator, where he made Joe Flacco look like 
a top five quarterback during a postseason, and they won the Super Bowl there. So this coach, who was black, with now two Super Bowl rings in his pocket, then went on to coach the Detroit Lions, the first African-American coach in franchise history. He proceeded to rattle off an 11-5 season, a 7-9 season. After they started the year 1-7, they roared back to be 7-9. Went 9-7 again and 9-7 again. And somehow uh, wasn't good enough for the Detroit Lions. The same Detroit Lions, mind you, that before Jim Caldwell became head coach, hadn't made the playoffs since 1999. Enter Matt Patricia, yet another white coach from the Bill Belichick coaching tree. He was recently fired after... Detroit got embarrassed on Thanksgiving Day again. I cannot imagine another franchise. Maybe you can help me on this one. But Detroit is so bad. And yet every year they get a Thanksgiving game. Like, I don't it's know. It's just tradition. Uh, it's just been the tradition that Detroit's part of Thanksgiving Day. Whatever, man. I don't know why. I, I mean, it's like, it's like picking turkey to be the traditional <laughs> bird of a <laughs> national holiday. I guess it's just something that you do. But let's look at their records side by side. Now, Jim Caldwell, in his four seasons with the Detroit Lions, had one losing record, but went to the playoffs twice. Wild card game. Hard to do in a division with Aaron Rodgers as the best quarterback in the division. Jim Caldwell, in his time with the Lions, went 38 and 20, 36 and 28, rather, with two playoff appearances. When Matt Patricia was fired, his record, 13-29 and 29 with one tie. I'm sorry, but if you have a tie as a head coach, like I, I, I feel like I just don't respect you as much anymore. Now, I don't know what Jim Caldwell is up to. His last stop was with the Dolphins as an offensive consultant. But I do hope that there is a song in his rotation. People hear it all the time. It's on a lot of commercials. And yes, the very words in the song is the title of the song. How You Like Me Now by The Heavy. And if you don't know the song, you can literally look that song up on YouTube and go, oh, I know that song. I hope it is Jim Caldwell's ringtone for the next three months. I hope that he has that song embedded somewhere in the most annoying place where people can hear it every time he walks into the room. It should be his theme music. Because the How You Like Me Now award goes to Jim Caldwell. I'm sorry that 9-7 and seven was not good enough for the Detroit Lions. Suckers. I mean, you sort of laid out the most important part of it. Like, forget... Forget the Matt Patricia part of it. Just all you have to do is think of how terrible the Lions were year after year before he got there. They were terrible. They had the one playoff year with Jim Schwartz in 2011. But that was Detroit's only winning season in like the 2000s was that one Jim Schwartz here where they went 10 and 6. Oh, I forgot. About, I did forget about that Jim Schwartz year. But that was like their only winning season in the 2000s. And then Jim Caldwell gets there in what, 2014? And they win nine or more in three out of four years? With two playoff appearances to boot. Why would you be in a hurry to get rid of that? Like the idea, this is one of those areas where we do things that are so stupid in sports. Once we have a modicum of success, we just forget all the failure and like how hard it was to get there. And so we stop appreciating the baseline that we have just set by being good finally. 
And so, like, I feel like the circumstances of what happened were they make the playoffs that first year, everybody's happy. They bounce back after missing the playoffs in his third year, but they had the division pretty much wrapped up, and they blew it over the last couple weeks of the season and then got, like, trashed by Green Bay in Detroit on the last game of the season to win the division. And so when they then lost in the wild card the next game, people took it as like, we're not getting over the hump. But it's like, y'all weren't even near the hump. (laughs) Like, what hump? The hump of like getting to the second round of the playoffs, winning the division. Because even when they've made the playoffs, they haven't won the division. And they had the chance to do it in 2016. They didn't get over the hump. But again, the point is not that, sure, you're not getting over the hump, but you couldn't even see the hump (laughs) three years ago. You were so far away from the hump three years ago. I get that it's frustrating that you're knocking on the door and you're not getting over the top, but you need to appreciate that you're knocking on the door now. And they tried to make a move to get over the hump and they forgot how hard it was to get where they were in the first place and not give adequate credit to the man who got them that close. People do this type of stupid thing in sports all the time. Well, enjoy mediocrity. Detroit back to be in Detroit. And I guess that's the uh, closing sentiment I of guess. this week. You know, I, 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 look, I'm, I, I, I'm sure Detroit's got nice things. It's the home of Motown, which is the only reason I really care about it. But, yeah. Well, that's going to do it for another edition of Award Tour of the Podcast. Tell them where they can find us. So... Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you get them, hosted on Anchor, where you can leave a voice message for us. Leave a review. Rate us five stars. You know you want to. You do it so well. You can also find <laughs> us on the socials at Award Tour Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. You can find myself at Brian Albin Life, Brian with a Y, on the Twitter machine. Uh, you can find Unqua on both Instagram and Twitter at underscore I am Unqua. I-A-N, all capital letters. Any closing thoughts before we head out of here? Hmm. Stay home. Please. COVID is not a game. Wish I could end with something happier, but please stay home. You heard him. Wear that mask. Stay home. And we're going to miss you in D.C. Number two. Have a good one, everybody. Mm-hmm.